The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad that you could tune in and join me. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for checking in live. If you are joining me live on the airwaves here in my attempt to keep live radio going, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Sometimes I feel uh, single-handedly, uh, but definitely doing my best. And if you can't join us live, that's okay. You can always get the podcast later on your favorite podcast provider, or just go to unityonlineradio.org and grab the show there. Any way you manage to reach me. I am definitely grateful. So I'm really glad you could tune in today. I'm excited about my guest. And I don't know if you know this about me. I might have mentioned this on other shows, but I've been a longtime yoga practitioner. I love yoga. I've been practicing for about 20 years. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that keeps me sane. I mean, any moves that I've made in my life, you know, big job moves or something like that, when I get to a new city, I look for a yoga studio. Like I need something to kind of connect and, and keep me grounded. So that's why I'm doubly excited to talk to my guest today because I really love the, the subject of yoga and how it positively affects all of our lives. So my guest today has been at the forefront of the yoga movement and he's going to share his story with us today. Peter Stereos has been part of the global yoga community for over four decades as a teacher, a writer, and an entrepreneur. He's also an award-winning architect specializing in green yoga studios and retreat centers. He's the creator of Manduka, which I didn't know this. I've been using Manduka yoga mats forever. This is great. Um, Manduka is a leading eco-yoga products company based in LA, and I've been spending a lot of time with his first book. It's called Gravity and Grace, How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga, and it's available now from Sounds True and Amazon. So I'm really happy to welcome Peter to the show to talk about one of my favorite things. So thanks for joining me, Peter. It's my pleasure, Diane. Well, it's interesting that I came upon your book now because, like I mentioned, I've been practicing for many years and focusing mostly over the past, I'd say maybe 10 years on an Ashtanga practice. And for the past two years, you know, I've been moving away from it and I'm, and I'm feeling guilty. Like, why am I falling out of love? What's going on? So reading your book has really kind of ignited my love for yoga again and wanting to establish a regular yoga practice. And it was interesting to read about your trajectory and your journey with yoga. And I, I really want to embrace it again. Like I want, I want you to, you know, help me really fall back in love again with yoga because I really think that this is a system that can be practiced for your whole life. And, you know, I'm excited to hear about your journey, you know, how did you come to the practice? You share your story in the book, but I'd love for you to tell the listeners how yeah, you sure. came to yoga. I, I love the introduction that you just gave. And and I, I think this is the first interview I've had in a while that um, I'm talking to someone who does yoga. So this is fantastic. Um, I would have been the least likely candidate you would have guessed when I was, you know, 19 years old um, to walk into a yoga class. And, and the the experience was actually, um, it was a mystery to me that, that I literally walked by this slightly ajar door. And for some reason, I stopped. I was late to class to go to school, uh, university, and uh poked my head in this door and here, here's this room full of, I think it was all women, doing something that I had no context for, like what in the early 70s, what, what is this, you know, what are you guys doing in here? And the, and the teacher, you know, and everyone stopped, like, why is this man standing at the doorway? And she said, uh, can I help you? And I said, what is this? And, and she said, it's yoga. And I said, what's that? And and she immediately kind of put me on the spot. She said, well, it's it's a, an exercise. You want to try it. And and so th there was part of me that just wanted to turn around and run. But I, I could see 
this look that everyone was giving me like it was a welcoming place. And there was something before my I knew what I was saying coming out of my mouth saying, yeah, sure. When's the next class? And so I went I went back the week later and here here the athlete in me was like uh, uh, excited about the physical challenge of it. And 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 then there was something on maybe let's say an intuitive level that made me realize, hey, there's something more here than just physical yoga. And uh, that took literally years for me to truly understand how what starts out is just this um, simple, relatively simple uh, practice of moving your body with coordinated breathing. You know, obviously it helps your cardiovascular systems. It helps just about everything in the physical body needs in terms of circulation and breathing and et cetera. But on the kind of what do you call non-physical level, the psych- psychological level of myself, I my personality started to change literally. And and to me, that was uh, a little surprising at first. And then I started to see how it worked and that igniting your passion that you were just talking about as I started to understand yoga more, it was just this continuing, uh, and maybe I was lucky, but this continuing process as I would discover more going into, let's say, some of the deeper practices of meditation, discovering more and more about myself that was kind of kept that passion, that inspiration ignited at over it's 44 years now since that first yoga class. Wow, that's I mean, that's amazing that you've been practicing for so long. And I love in the book that you delve into the something more. And I think that's what kind of hooks us in is, is the something more I mean, the physical practice and and all that is great. But it's, it's when you experience that, that yoga high, you know, and, and that feeling that you get in Shavasana or just where you're, you've kind of left your body that really blows you away. And you do such a great job in the book of introducing people to that world and, and really explaining it and what's going on, you know, taking us out of just your, your physical meat suits, you know, and <laughs> putting us into a, a different place. And I, I love how you introduced that in the book. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really liking it. I'm, I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm uh, almost finished you. with the book. So I urge people to, to pick it up and, and check it out. So as you, you know, kind of got introduced to the, the world of yoga, and I like how you didn't say, well, there are all these beautiful women in there, and I was the one guy, so I thought my odds were pretty good, which I'm sure maybe some men might think that as they're first getting into a yoga class. Maybe that came later. I don't know. Um, But you also talk about your first teacher and his big influence on you. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, the awakening that came with your work with Shandor. Yeah, well, that's a big story. Um, I I would like to start it just in the context of, of, let's say, today's kind of yoga environment um it's it's i think in general uh, a hard thing in this current environment uh in the western yoga to actually find a master teacher and one that is trustworthy and one that has you know kind of aligned the yogic principles with their lives and and when I met Chandor, we, we, we didn't have the same kind of environment. It, it, the, the model of yoga teacher-student relationship for, you know, thousands of years was always been this guru-based system where the master had the knowledge and the students basically were um, – apprentices learning how to create these shapes and literally not really so much thinking for themselves because they they didn't know enough about yoga to understand what the effects of some of these positions and postures created. So they totally relied on the authority of this external teacher, this guru to guide them. And and in the current environment, that obviously has 
created some problems with uh, unethical behavior between teacher and student or student and teacher. Sometimes it goes the other way. And, and so th there's this idea at the moment where what my education was with my teacher, you don't really find anymore. And in the book, I call it convenient yoga. The, the, the yoga that's been kind of uh, commercialized in the West is what I call convenient yoga because the, the students go to classes not so much because of the experience of the teacher, but because of the convenient location of the studio, convenient time for their busy schedule, or, you know, watching, following the teacher on Instagram, impressed with what they see in the photos without really caring too much other than a workout, what else is offered for yoga. And in my situation, I, after five or six years of just doing casual yoga, occasionally going to class at university, and then when I graduated a little bit, but I, I yoga was like a crossed cross training let's say for playing rugby uh it helped me stay flexible and kind of recover from injuries and things like that it wasn't until i met shandor that oh my you know it was like one of those light bulb moments oh my god this guy's uh, amazing with what he's talking about i'd never heard some of the terms he was using and and he was putting it in simple language it wasn't cloaked in esoteric, you know, uh, mystical language. It was everyday language. And it, it started to make sense to me. And literally from the first class I went of his, which was a recommendation from a, a teacher that I was studying with where I was living in New Zealand, from that first weekend, it was like, okay, this, this is a game changer for me. This is like it helped me make a decision to stop playing rugby which was just damaging my physical body uh, and really embrace yoga more as not just a practice but a lifestyle and uh that relationship lasted for 20 years and and it i, I can't even imagine and you said something in your opening how that that let's say the fruit of yoga it just makes life easier uh, to have a practice that can literally create balance physically and psychologically, no matter how stressed you are physically or, or psychologically. So for me, meeting Chandor was just, I don't know, was it karma, good luck? Did, did my stars line up that day? I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm very grateful. Well, I wanted to mention that because he he's kind of woven, you know, throughout the book. So you can tell what an amazing influence that he was on, on you and your life and the trajectory that, you know, your career went into. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, kind of the difference of what's happening today, because I do see a lot of people that are blindly following, you know, random teachers on Instagram. And and, and it seems like Shandra was just such a real teacher and guru in you know, such a classic sense where it seems like these days anyone can like throw a turban on their head or something and call themselves a master or, you know, a, a, a high teacher in, in different schools when, you know, are they really? I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors sometimes. There um, is. Yeah, I that. think and, that everything about contemporary society right now, it, there's a risk of smoke and mirrors and, and you know, the... The bigger conversation is, is how do we uh, find what I call self-evident truth? Like, how do we know what we're being taught or told or what we watch on TV even or online? How do we know what we're seeing, hearing or, you know, learning is true? And and so we've in a way lost that filter for ourselves. We, we've lost the ability to recognize uh, what is uh beneficial, let's say, and, and, and it is this whole idea of karma or fate, or how do you find a teacher? You, you really do need to find a teacher if you're interested. You know, if you find this podcast is something that is drawing you to explore yoga, it really starts by just setting an intention to find a good teacher. And, and, and uh, setting that intention usually produces something. And, and for me, I didn't have the intention other than I was looking for yoga. 
and I found it and it, it, it as the book describes there was just these unbelievable string of coincidences that got me into my first class with Shandor so uh, how it wasn't something that I you know made happen it just kind of happened and that's how yoga's always been it, it does seem like whatever teacher you initially find there's a lesson there for you and and I won't spoil the 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 story in the book but you know my teacher uh he was a pretty controversial guy even back in the 70s and and he still is to a point uh, but I I got to see the full picture because I had you know a closer relationship with him I actually became his tour manager for North America and, and Central America so I traveled a lot with him and I saw the backstory a lot and and for me that that was that was bringing him back down to the human level like yes these gurus have an elevated uh experience and knowledge of a, of a practice that is centuries thousands of years old and it's a it's lasted that long because it works it, it it's an incredible tool for life and uh, so for with shandor um i i think what i'm teaching now and what i'm practicing now is inspired by him because ultimately what he gave me the gift that he gave me was my ability to be uh, sensitive to what I was feeling. In other words, I I could follow instructions, but what he taught me how to do was feel. And, and that feeling sense, how, how do I, like for instance, how do we feel an emotion like anger in our body or, or uh, fear in our body? Like where, where do we physically feel it? And then once we have the ability to physically feel these emotional or psychological uh, I mean, you could call them traumas in a way. Uh, once we are able to feel it physically, what does yoga give us to um, discharge that, you know, stuck emotion of, let's say, fear or anger? And it's beautiful in that sense. It, it, you know, I joke about it. My yoga practice and all the money I've invested in teaching, uh, learning yoga in workshops and things like that over the years, I've saved so much money in psychotherapy, you know, because it really has helped to bring balance and and dispel what I call illusion of the permanence of some of these feelings and permanence of some of these mental states that we think are so uh, in a way, terminal, so so powerfully part of ourselves. And in reality, so much of what we experience is real is um, just temporarily uh, the, the nature of the feeling or the nature of the thought is temporary. And it's it takes a practice like yoga to unhook the loop that that kind of looping thought or looping emotion just um, detour it a little bit and then the body just lets it go and that 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 to me is what i recognize is one of the gifts of my life is I, I do have this ability to see the impermanence in things and i'm patient enough at this point in my life to know that we're always changing even though at times it's either the change is too slow or sometimes in our life the change is too fast but it's just that's such an accepted part of life now well it really is such an incredible system when you think about it something that's been around for thousands of years and and i love how you introduce people in the book to you know the subtle realms of yoga and the mystical experiences that shandor kind of opened the door and you describe that in the book, how he was able to, you know, introduce you to those realms, you know, like uh, in Shakespeare's Hamlet, they say, you know, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophies. And uh, even in the Nicene Creed, you know, I was brought up Catholic and, you know, we had to uh, memorize these things. It's like, we yeah. believe in one God, creator of heaven and earth heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. So it seems like even like from time immemorial, there's been recognition of an unseen world and and what we can learn for learn from it and you started walking through that door and i just thought it was so interesting the steps that you took 
to open up that world. And like you were saying, you know, how we can let go of the emotions and, and how that expresses itself physically in our body and how those things get stuck. And I think people don't realize that we really do have the power to heal ourselves physically and emotionally. You know, we're not doomed to just take fistfuls of antidepressants and not that those don't work or help people in some way they do. But I mean, we, we need to recognize that we have more power in, in the healing process. And then, and you took those steps into that world and, and what, you know, what was that like for you in the beginning? I, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance, you know, like Shandor, uh, you know, we had a 20 year relationship and I was content with, with, learning from him but thinking for myself sometimes that that wasn't really part of the program um when when our relationship ended then i was thrown into this situation it, it was um what's the word disorienting for for years a couple of years i i had no idea you know what to do without a teacher and and he even you know made a point of saying hey don't don't teach what I taught you. And, and I couldn't even practice what he taught me because it wasn't exactly the best kind of um, breakup. You know, it was it was actually quite a heartbreaking breakup. So here I am, you know, 20 years into uh, studying with one person and now all of a sudden I'm cut free, cut loose. How do I find these things? And this is one of the hardest things for a beginning student of yoga to understand. And I, I try to do it in my own classes in as soft a way as I can, is that ultimately we have these circumstances in life that bring us suffering or bring us pain. And we, we, we haven't really in the West, we haven't really grown up with a lot of conversation around suffering and a conversation around pain other than you know try to get away from it as quickly as possible or go to the doctor and have them take care of it for you and you know just follow your doctor's orders and blah 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 but in terms of how do we i i, I don't know if if um in the way that natural healing the way i understand natural healing I can set all the intentions that I want to heal myself. And, and I think at some level that does help a little. But if you get attached to healing, it actually creates a little bit of anxiety if the results that you're experiencing aren't at the way you want to experience them or they aren't happening as quickly. And, and so I, I learned early on that what I needed to find for myself to heal the things that I needed to heal how can I best support what I believe is my body's natural, instinctive uh, self-healing power? Like when we cut ourselves, you know, the body has a way of stopping the bleeding. If it's if not a major cut, stopping the bleeding, um, scabbing, scarring, you know, self-healing, and and that isn't just uh, a that's just one example of what I think the body is truly capable of on so many levels. And what kind of practice can we find that supports that body's natural tendency to self-correct, to balance and to heal? And how did I discover that? Well, I, I mentioned that I played rugby uh, <laughs> before I got into yoga. So when I finally realized that 30 to maybe that uh, rugby was not a good career choice for longevity. Uh, and I, I realized that it was causing me more harm and potentially, you know, long-term harm. And, and I quit. But when I started doing yoga more seriously, I had a lot of pain in my body from, you know, torn meniscus in both knees, torn rotator cuffs in both shoulders, you know, the, the list goes on and, and, and none of it had surgery in a way. I'm, I'm grateful for that because I haven't had to deal with a lot of scar tissue. But how does yoga support my body's ability to heal? And and that's it was literally trial and error, Diane. I mean, I understood the power of my attention. So being present in what I was feeling was like probably one of the first really um 
powerful things that I experienced that as long as I was paying attention to where I was having these feelings, and then could I somehow breathe in a way that my breath could, um, let's say, energetically and even physically touch this discomfort in my body as softly as I can. And I, I describe this process in the book when I herniated a disc in my back. I was bedridden for, uh, God, about three weeks. And then I was kind of not very functional for about three months, but I could at least get up and move around a little bit. In that bedridden period of that uh, injury, really the only thing that I could do to exercise was to use my breath to create this subtle movement within my body. And I got it really refined to what I could feel on the inhalation cycle of my breath and what I could feel on the exhalation cycle of my breath. And, and literally with that, you know, uh, I didn't have any distractions. I was stuck. If I tried to get up in those, those first weeks, I had searing pain. So it wasn't like I was motivated to go out for a jog or anything, or even get up and try and do yoga. I, that, that learning how to connect breath and attention so that the mind becomes a, a tool in a way to support healing instead of a distraction by worrying about the long-term effects or, you know, how bad is it? Am I going to, all that worry that the mind tends to just ramble on with the, the breath practice and, and finding that the mind was a powerful tool to use. I, I was able to avoid all that kind of stress. And what I well, think hold, hold really, that thought, Peter. We're going to talk. Sure. I want to talk more about the healing process because sure. this is so is just so relevant to so many people. So hold on, we'll be right back. Sure. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad you could join us after the break. And we do have lines open if you had a question. I'm talking with Peter Stereos today. He's been part of the global yoga community for over four decades, and he's written an incredible book. It's called Gravity and Grace, How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga. It's available now uh, through Sounds True. You can also get it on Amazon. So if you'd like to join the conversation, if you're a fellow yogi out there, give us a call, 816 251 and we were talking about the healing power of yoga and experiencing that before we went to the break. And Peter shares in the book how he was able to recover from a debilitating back injury, which just sounded so horrible. And I and I can relate to that pain because I've experienced similar back pain like that and really haven't felt anything, you know, like that unless unless you've experienced it. And I know so many people that have dealt with back issues. I know there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that. Um, but the good news is that you can heal. And I was asking Peter during the break, you know, people, if, if we could bottle something like that and sell it, people would just go nuts. You know, you'd, you'd be a billionaire. But really, it's convincing people that, you know, the quick fix is not always the best way to go with surgery or something like that. And that your your body does want to heal, and you you describe in in detail how you were able to do it, and would would that be a good a good time to introduce the subtle body and what that is in the sure. healing process? Because I want people to really understand what what that is. Yeah, of course. So when you look at the let's say the anatomy of a injury as an example. You know, we we have some kind of traumatic event, physical event, like a car accident or, you know, a skiing accident or something. And we have this, you know, rupture or uh, torn muscle or whatever it is. And, and the body has its its own ability on the physical level. It, it tends to contract around uh, the instability of a joint, let's say, or a, a tear in a muscle. And it, it, as that contraction, you know, creates an environment that allows the body to begin the healing process. When, when the, that phase of contraction has served its purpose, 
we we don't understand it well enough uh, to not understand that it's not a permanent condition and that we, the body heals through movement. And how do we create movement after we've had an injury? Well, not like you used to. I, I will say that for sure. That no matter how uh, expert you are, you know, like here I was, I'd practice when I hurt my back, I'd been doing yoga almost 20 years. Um, I couldn't do anything that I used to take a little bit of pride in doing. And, and I, I literally was back to the drawing board, back to square one. And I, I, I tried to like do the things that I used to do and it would just make me hurt more the next day. So it was that moment of truth for me that I have to change. I have to approach yoga with the most basic tools. And I think we were talking about this in the break, maybe that the breath to me was this tool that I had underestimated how powerful conscious breathing is. We, we all breathe all the time, but the difference is what consciousness does with breathing, where you pay attention to the inhalation and the exhalation. And, and here's how I describe the beginning of this subtle body awareness. What are the qualities of an inhale? energetically well let's see when you if you put your attention on the tip of your nostrils when you inhale and you feel the air moving past your nostrils there's a cool sensation to it so there's a temperature involved with the inhalation that's cool when you exhale the temperature moving out of your lungs is generally warm so right there there's a little clue about okay i can it's pretty easy for anyone to feel the coolness of an inhale and the warmth of an exhale right at the tip of the nostrils. Now, what if that energy that you feel at the tip of the nostrils was happening everywhere inside your whole respiratory system? Like what if you could feel that cool inhalation all the way up into the nasal passages, down the throat, into the top of the lungs, the middle of the lungs, and into the the floor of the lungs and and i'll talk a little bit in a second about even beyond the lungs and then on the exhale this warmth coming from the bottom of the lung up up through the throat up through the nasal passages and down and pass it now energetically you may not ever feel that but some people feel it i feel it but the nervous system that bruce lipton talks about in his book it's designed in a way that your thought the visualization of warm air, you may feel the warmth only physically at the tip of the nostrils, but you can visualize a stream of warm air going up into the nasal passages, into the throat, into the top of the lung, in the middle of the lung, the bottom of the lung. And because of the way the nervous system is designed, it doesn't know the difference from that projected image in your visualization and the reality of it. And with practice, you kind of trick your body into this experience and the neural pathway that's responsible for feeling warmth in the throat or in the lungs wakes up. And then you do actually start to feel this warmth. And that warmth, you know, it's like having a hot pad, you know, when you're have a soreness in your body, have the hot pad feels makes you feel good. Why? Because it stimulates circulation and blood flow helps you know, alleviate those symptoms of pain in a way. So this is the introduction to the subtle body that started to awaken in me. And the this, this quality of inhalation, there's a coolness to it, but there's also an expansive quality to it. So the energy of expansion, obviously when you blow air in a balloon and the balloon expands, energetically when our lungs fill with air, we get this subtle expansion feeling. And you know, that's a useful sensation to gain mastery over in certain yoga poses where you need a little bit of, let's call it uh, uh, taking taking the body out of the pose a little bit to take a, a break because the sensation that you're feeling is too intense going deeper. So that expansion lifts you out of the pose a little bit. And then on the exhalation, the opposite is true. You On the exhalation, there's this energy of uh, softening and as the as the lungs deflate the tissue the connective tissue in your in your thoracic cavity and torso it's all softening and that that feeling of softness in a way creates 
uh, an experience of space. Like as your lung shrinks, the rib cage doesn't move too much, but the lung tissue moves a lot. So you're, it's almost like a vacuum as the air exits, you're creating this uh, empty space, let's call it without getting too uh, esoteric here. It, it's like the space you might experience in the night sky. It, it, it's a, it's vast and you can have a, a, a sense of that vastness experience it on each exhale. And what, where this really came home for me was in my back injury, I was in constant 24 hour pain for those first two weeks. And, and even the over the shelf ibuprofen that I was taking, it would knock it down a few notches, but it didn't take it away. As I as I started to breathe like this, what I noticed on the exhalation cycle is that for the entire duration of the exhalation cycle, the pain dialed back from like, let's say that on the inhalation, my pain was at a 99. And then on the on the exhale, it was down to a 50. But if I was consciously softening as the body exhaled, I could get that pain threshold down into the teens or maybe even into single digits. And it was like euphoric. And, and then I made this connection. Well, gee, if I just shorten my inhales a little, but slow down my exhales, like take twice the amount of time to exhale as I took to inhale, then I could shift the amount of time that I was in pain and out of pain. And those moments as I extended my exhales and those extended moments of being pain free, I think that actually helped my body heal because the 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 uh, biochemistry of anxiety when I'm out of pain, the chemistry of my body would change. There'd be the, the cortisol response in an anxious body would drop away and these pleasure dopamine kind of chemicals in the body when I'm feeling that bliss of being out of pain, even if it's just for 10, 15 seconds, was just positive uh, chemistry pumping through my systems. And I, I you know, over uh, three months, that, that first three month period of my back injury, when I realized what I was doing, you know, I, I and this is way before I read Bruce Lipton's book, this was powerful for me in that moment. I did. I just feel like I'd was a discoverer, like I'd never heard about this before. I wasn't even sure if it was all in my mind or not. And that's, that's the beauty of the book. As I, as I started to do research for the book and I started to find these scientists like Bruce Lipton talking about these experiences, then I realized this is it. This is, we're all talking about the same thing. It's just, he's using a chemist's language or a, you know, a, a biophysicist language and I'm using yogic language. So to, to deepen that awareness of the subtle body, I noticed there were certain areas of my body that had more tension than others. And where were those places? One I noticed was around my diaphragm, which is usually a place where, let's say, emotions of fear, uh, that, like when you have a gut feeling, of, you know, a feeling about something big is going about to happen. It usually is, you know, that expression comes from that I think that subtle contraction that we get in that anxiety that might be produced by the unknown. And uh, so that my gut was one area. And then for men, and, and I think this is a broad generalization that, you know, obviously there's exceptions, but in general, I think men tend to carry a lot of tension in their pelvic floor. And why is that? Well, it could be just our ancestry of, the men, you know, in the Neanderthal ages, you know, having to like go out and kill to eat and, you know, d protect the family and th that kind of fight or flight response in a man. And, and the expression we have in the English language is tight ass, you know, and, and I've always found that same kind of humorous because I, I've never <laughs> heard a, a woman call another woman a tight ass. It, it seems to be reserved just for men. And what would I relate to that is that, yes, uh, you know, when when we are tight assed in a modern society, it usually means we're trying to hold on to our resources, you know, like we're hoarding things, whether it's money or w whatever, you know, w what would life be like if we just released our sphincter muscles, you know, and, and without getting right. too graphic here, uh, those two places, diaphragm and pelvic floor for me. It was just like uh, 
euphoria when I finally figured out, gee, I'm walking around 90% of my day squeezing my sphincter muscles in my anus. Why? Like if I completely relax my sphincter muscles, what happens? And what I've noticed was I had a lot more freedom of movement in my hips and in my pelvis. And with, with relationship to the lower back, I also noticed that as I started to regain movement, if I got to moving my back and it created anxiety and I felt the response in my pelvic floor, if I could release my pelvic floor, noting that's where I was feeling the tension, it helped my lower back. And th these things didn't come overnight either. This was weeks and weeks of looking at my breathing and looking at my reactions and then starting to identify. And so I identified these I think four or five areas in my body where I was aware if I took my attention out of the busyness of my life and just was still for a moment and scanned my body, I was holding tension around my heart, my belly, diaphragm, my pelvic floor, my throat a little bit, and then the, my forehead and kind of that space between the eyebrows, worrying about this and that and whatever. Well, it turns out that when you start to study the subtle body in yoga, the yogis had names for these places and they called them chakras. And, you know, I've never been big on, you know, these kinds of practices to open the chakras. But what I was discovering is by releasing subconscious tension that I was subconsciously holding in these areas because of some physical or psychological trauma. Once I was aware that I was holding it and letting it go, I was starting to feel things move. And now all of a sudden, when I would read about chakras and hear what the authors are describing as movement, I was experiencing those movements. And that description of, you know, on the exhalation cycle as the air leaves the lungs and the void that that creates in our bodies, that spaciousness that it creates, there's movement in that space. You can feel it. It's three dimensional. It's not a linear kind of motion. It's it's like uh it's like the big bang in reverse, you know, it, it kind of is going in and the inhalation, it comes back out a little bit. And these were visceral experiences I was having without any visualization or anything. And th this is what the book, in my opinion, is really helpful for. It, it gives people that may be a little averse to some of the esoteric language that you might find in a, a typical yoga book about the chakras. And it, it presents it in kind of everyday experiences of tension and stress in the body and how to diffuse it and then open to the possibility that something else happens once you diffuse that stress. And the title of the book, Gravity and Grace, that, that grace element is this idea that there is something beyond the physical. There, and any, any kind of religious person understands this, that that we we honor something that's much bigger than our individual personality, our inner individual intellect. And there seems to be some order in life and intelligence in life that is guiding us. And the practice of yoga helps us wake up to that guidance. Absolutely. And it definitely has helped me over the years to um, get in touch with those places. And I thought it was interesting when you were explaining uh, the breathing exercises and what you learned healing from your back injury, because it made me realize as I was reading the book, like, well, what am I holding on to? And then I thought, well, I'm always, you know, holding into your stomach and it just you have it pounded into your head, you know, watch your core and, and, and right. the locks, you know, the bandas. So I'm like, well, why am I still holding on to that, you know, exactly. while I'm sitting here working or something like that? So it is interesting how the realization comes to you, well, what am I gripping and, and holding on to so tightly? And why am I doing this? And you share some great principles in the book that I hope people explore, because I was trying uh, one of them this morning, where I was laying in child's pose and doing the back breathing exercises. And I always loved that visualization in, in class, because I would imagine like a luminescent uh, green or yellow, you know, like color spreading across my back as I was breathing that way. And I would use those visualizations. And it, it feels really good to do that. <laughs> so I suggest people 
people check that out and, and try it in the book, but you really give some great explanations of that and, and just how important the breath is. And we don't realize it, you know, when we're holding our breath and, and why, and why we're gripping on and holding on so tightly. So it, it, it is really fascinating when you start thinking about it. And also what was interesting too, that came up when I was reading, reading the book was the effects of what we hold in our body. You mentioned it a little bit earlier about, you know, the cell memory that we're actually still holding on to fears and anxieties and reactions that we had maybe thousands of years ago that we, yeah. we can actually let go of those. We don't need them anymore, right? There, there are no saber tooth tigers exactly. that we know of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a process that, you know, obviously when we talk about Bruce Lipton did, 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 does such a great uh, service to humanity when he describes this. You know, we we grow up uh, thinking that our ancestry has given us this uh, composition of DNA and genes that kind of is a life sentence, you know, that we're kind of locked in. Oh, my, let's say my mom had heart disease or cancer, and then I'm going to have that. I have that same gene, so I'm probably going to get cancer, blah, blah, blah. Well, Bruce Lipton's work kind of describes so well that what science is finding is that the gene expression is more determinant by environment than by ancestry. And so how do we take that idea and embody it in a yoga practice in a way? Like, how do we say, okay, let's say uh, I have some condition that I want to use yoga to uh, create a, a different scenario. And for me, that idea of what you were describing just a moment ago about breathing into the back and it feels so good. What do you experience when that idea feeling good? So you've created this sensation and it brings pleasure in that moment. What is what is your psychology in that moment? What, what, how can you describe what that feeling feels like? How would I describe it? Yeah, yeah, that's a question for you. Like, oh. <laughs> you have this feeling, it feels good. How would you describe how it feels good? What, what is the word that comes to mind in that moment of feeling good? Well, I would say, uh, you know, peace, uh, lack of anxiety, yeah. um, pres you know, presence, presence of mind. Yeah, bliss. All, all yeah, of those so things this where is such an interesting I'm not worrying. Word, bliss, because in Sanskrit, the word is ananda, and they have this uh compound in the body that the body naturally produces that they named after ananda anandamides and these hormones in the body are literally what supports your immune system so every moment that we have that feel good realization we're producing just a little drip of anandamide to me that's powerful and each exhalation of my breath if i'm consciously observing my exhale i know that my little bio drip inside is giving me a little pump and then neuroscience is finding the same thing you know that they they're able to measure different parts of the brain responding to different emotional inputs and that's also when you have these moments of bliss it produces it fires up a certain part of the brain that furthers that experience and it kind of wires your neurology to go in that direction instead of towards worry and dread. And that to me, what, what was such a satisfying experience when the book was done was how I felt uh, I was being, um, what's the word, that my set of circumstances in my life and at the time that I've invested on a yoga mat came to fruition right when all this modern research like Bruce Lipton or Paul Pearsall or some of these other, you know, cutting edge doctors, researchers that are starting to look back at some of these ancient practices like yoga or Qigong. And in a contemporary scientific Western science uh, model, finding ways to verify. And that's the timing of Bruce's book, you know, I, I'd heard about the book for years and years, never read it until I started writing. 
and it, it just it was divine in a way it was just all these coincidences and the, the book is a better book for it in my opinion because it's it's an attempt to come to the table in a way as a yogi and talk to these scientists and talk to the research and share essentially right and i love that science is is backing all this up and it always i always just marvel like when i think about it of of these people you know shamans thousands of years ago um some guy uh, coming up with like a beautiful system like ayurveda you know yeah. uh, these healing mod these healing modalities that they use then because they didn't have anything else and it's just it's so intricate really when you think about it you how did they people, do that yeah how did they do that it you just know, how, you know what i answer that i say well think about it they had a lot of time on their hands right no they could just phones, sit there and think no about it and figure it out you know they, a big day traveling was walking to the village a mile away you know it was i i think it's amazing i, I mean i'm joking but how they came up with it it's it's a mystery and it really ultimately, is. you know, one of the biggest hurdles that I had to overcome in my yoga journey was accepting the mystery of it. And Ayurveda is the same way. Like I, I came from a meat and potatoes, black and white kind of family ancestry. And to, to be content with things that are mysterious and, and unknowable with the, let's call it the five sensory mentality that we have, we, most of our thoughts are based on these five senses, but the body actually has, you know, a sixth and a seventh sense, which I talk about in the book. The sixth sense, obviously, uh, it, there's been research done on intuition, and it's kind of this, um, you know, being able to think and, and respond before the active part of the brain responsible for thinking is engaged. Like, where is it coming from? And in, to me, this intuition is part of a, a healthy yoga practice is strengthening that intuition muscle. And, and the way yoga is taught in the West, it's not really conducive to self-reflection in a way. It's more about, you know, doing poses right and, you know, following the teacher's lead and, and not really self-authority. Uh, self the seventh sense. Have you read that part yet about the seventh sense? Oh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought this up because I, I think this is such a great way to kind of wrap up um, what, what we're talking about today, because I, I think that's important, the seventh yeah. sense. So the seventh sense is what, what I call levity and, and it's humor, the sense of humor. And it, when I first kind of made that connection, I thought it was even funny. Like, of course, we have this sense of humor, but no one would think anything about humor other than everyone enjoys laughing. But there's science now behind humor and the science is amazing. And it, it's such a missing component of, let's say, a healing modality. And yet research says it's one of the most effective and the cheapest thing you can do. And I used it, I, I had a, later in life, I had a, a, a more serious uh, situation than a herniated disc come up. And I used, for therapy, I, I was aware of this, I used a lot of watching funny YouTube videos and things like that, because I, I made a point of laughing at least an hour a day. And it always helps me feel better. And Peter, it's been so awesome to talk with you. I wish we had more time. Uh, we're, we're just about to ready to wrap up, but I urge people to check you out online and get the book, Gravity and Grace. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.